0: Okay, so let's let's get on track with today and today's sermon. Um, I wanted to let you know that normally uh, what we what we were planning to do was continue our Ephesians series. We're gonna we're working on wrapping up Ephesians chapter four, uh, but today is Pentecost Sunday. And uh, we're going to just take a little bit of a break from that. And I hope that doesn't make you angry uh, that we're missing out on Ephesians 4. Uh, if it does make you angry, come next Sunday. Because what Paul says in the passage that we were scheduled to teach about is be angry but do not sin. So we'll talk about that next week. So, um, But today is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, now, if you don't know what Pentecost Sunday is, uh, it, is it is a traditional celebration. It's a birthday party for the church, actually. It was uh, in the New Testament. We'll talk about this a little bit today. It is the day that we celebrate that Jesus sent the promised Holy Spirit to his disciples. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk, again, we'll talk a bit about what that means, but it's the launching of the New Testament church. The New Testament church was launched with a sermon by a guy named Peter, and the response to that sermon was 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus in that one day. Uh, and, and then also, Pentecost isn't just about that day that happened a couple thousand years ago. It is about the promise of the Holy Spirit being extended to us today. All right. You want to try again, Mike? You want to give that another shot? Okay. So, let's try again. We'll rewind. Pretend I haven't said anything yet. Okay. So, Pentecost Sunday is also the celebration of knowing that the same Holy Spirit that was given two thousand years ago is still extended to us as a promised blessing today. Job, Mike. Job, Mike. So. Here's here's the reality is that Pentecost is the reason we can fulfill something called the Great Commission. When Jesus ascended, right before he, he went to go sit at the right hand of the Father where he now prays for you and me, he's interceding, praying, God, help them win, help them succeed, and help them do what I told them to do. He gave us something called a Great Commission. That Great Commission, he says, go and make disciples, teaching those disciples everywhere everything that I taught you. But he actually says something interesting. He says, but don't go do it yet. He says, go, but hold on, because you need something before you go. And that thing that you need is the Holy Spirit. And so Pentecost is actually a celebration of the birth of the New Testament church. It's, It's the power of the early disciples. And it's also the promise of the empowerment for us today. And it is the only reason we can have any confidence that we can do what Jesus actually told us to do, which is to go and make disciples. Uh, You can be smart. You can memorize the whole scriptures. Go ahead and do that. But if you don't have the power of God in your life, then you're just going to be fighting against the powers of the world and the powers of darkness and wondering why nothing works. And we're just not for that. I don't think Jesus is about that. Amen. So we need to talk about Pentecost. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to approach this from a little bit of maybe what you might think is uh, an unexpected angle today. If you could open your Bible to the book of Acts, find the second chapter of Acts. So Acts chapter 2, uh, the, the New Testament goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. So find the second chapter of Acts, but then leave a thumb there. If you're a if you're digital Bible, you don't have to leave a thumb there. Uh, you'll just find it digitally in a second. But leave, leave a thumb or a bookmark or a tab or something in Acts chapter 2. And what we're actually going to do today is use an Old Testament story to build a framework to help us understand this New Testament moment. Because if you know anything about Scripture, you actually know that the Old Testament, all of it, points to Jesus. It all points to the promise that we have living as New Testament believers, right? And so we can very often find stories that are helpful for us in the Old Testament. So I, w- I want you to find a- uh, Acts chapter 2, hang tight, we'll come back to that. But First Kings chapter 18 is where we're going to probably spend the bulk of our time today. Now my goal is to use this story in First Kings uh, chapter 18 uh, to give you a little bit of a framework for understanding how we can respond to God on this Pentecost Sunday in 2023. All right. So I want to give you a framework from 1 Kings so we can talk about Acts chapter 2. Now, in order to do that, we've got the beginning of this passage up on the screen, but let me give you a little bit of context before we jump into our main reading. And then we're going to read a little bit, and then we'll break it down. Okay. So this guy named Elijah was the prophet of God for the people of Israel. So Elijah was a prophet, meant that he spoke on behalf of God to the people of God. And Elijah was uh, living at a time where there was a king named Ahab. And Ahab was a bad dude. Tell your neighbor, Ahab was a bad dude. Not a good guy, right? So now, Ahab and Elijah, they did not get along. And, And Ahab actually was such a bad dude that he tried to get rid of all of the prophets of God. Okay? So all of the prophets of God are now hiding in a cave somewhere... Uh, there's about a hundred of them left and Elijah's just out there wandering around and he's done some crazy things like prayed for a drought to be over the land for three years. And then there was this great famine. Uh, and then, and then Elijah eventually, he just like shows up on the scene. And Ahab's out there hunting for all the prophets. He's hunting for Elijah because he, he wants to get rid of this guy. Because he figures if I can kill this guy, maybe it'll start to rain again. Maybe God will bless all of our people. He was crazy. He had just this insane idea that if I could, I'll worship the God of, of Israel, and then I'll worship all these other gods, like he particularly would worship this God called Baal. Problematic, right? And he figured if I can just get rid of Elijah, all my problems will go away. So he's out there hunting for Elijah, and Elijah sets up a meeting with King Ahab, and he tells all of he says he says to King Ahab, get everybody together, all of the people of Israel. We're going to meet, and we're going to have this isn't what Elijah says, but essentially he says we're going to have a showdown. We're going to see which God is really powerful and real. This is the context for where we'll pick up this story, okay? So Ahab calls all of the people of Israel together, all of the prophets of Baal together on this place called Mount Carmel, 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. They all show up versus one dude named Elijah who's the prophet of God. Okay? You feel the tension in the moment? Okay. We'll pick up the story in verse 20 of 1 Kings 18. So Ahab summoned all the Israelites together, all the prophets on Mount Carmel, and Elijah approached all the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. You know why? Because they knew Elijah was right. They're like ashamed and embarrassed. They're being called on the mat by the prophet. Then Elijah said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord, which isn't quite accurate. There were these hundred hiding in the cave, but Elijah was functioning under the assumption that he's the only one representing God in that moment, which actually tells you a little bit about why he goes to such extreme lengths in this story. But he says, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Uh, Let two bulls be given to us. They They are to choose one bull for them, the prophets of Baal, cut it in pieces and place it on the wood. But... Do not light it on fire. I will prepare another bull and place it on the wood, but not light it on fire. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. Just pause there for a second. Um, In, 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 look at the subtlety of the way Elijah talks to these people. Then you will call on the name of your God. That's verse twenty-four. Then you will call. I, I know it's in all caps here for you, but in my Bible, God there is a lowercase G. That's the way it was translated for me probably in most of your uh, contexts and translations. Uh, I love this. He goes, you'll call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. So I love the subtle jabs already. It gets better. Verse, uh, so then he goes, and all the people go, in my translation, the CSB, it says, that's fine. Essentially, it's like they don't have much to say, and the only thing that they can say is, I guess, Elijah, if that's what you want to do, we'll do that. Okay? They don't have much to say. Verse 25, then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, since you are so numerous, choose yourselves one bull and prepare it first. Then call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. You know what this moment reminds me of? I used to play pickup basketball when I was in like elementary school and junior high and high school. And we always had this rule on the pickup basketball court where, uh, and and you can see it in, in the NBA as well, but we would make a big deal about it when we would play pickup basketball that if you scored a point, That the other team got to take out the ball. And we would all, like when you would score on the other team, you would hand them the ball and go, Losers get to take the ball out. That's what this moment reminds me of. It's like Elijah is so confident in this moment, he's going, We already know you're gonna lose. You can go first. Right? You you could go first. Because he also is setting the tone. He's setting the moment so that God can make the point that he wants to make through Elijah in this moment. So he says to them, you guys can go first. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull and they, that he had gave them. He prepared it, and, God call, and, and they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. Probably sounded something like that. But there was no sound, and no one answered. So they danced around the altar that they had made. Now, just so you know, one of the actual teachings of the prophets of Baal was that the prophet's entire job was to call the attention of Baal to the needs of the people. That he would just like it was actually part of the teaching that he was sort of like a lazy god, and and that you kind of had to like coax him into action. So, they had all of these rituals and practices from from morning until noon. They were just running through the gamut of all of their rituals and practices to try to get their God's attention. And verse 27 says, At noon, Elijah mocked them. He said, Shout loudly, for he's a God. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he has wandered away. Or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping. And we'll wake up, now just, just so you know, this is actually one of the places where, in my CSB translation, I actually disagree with the way they translated this. So let me just break down some original language translation for you. If you read this in the original language, here is what Elijah actually said. Maybe he's taking a nap. Or maybe he's on the toilet. I'm not kidding, I didn't, I'm not making that up. Go study the original language of this passage. Elijah said, maybe he's occupied in relieving himself. Just hang on. Just keep, just keep going. Maybe just, maybe just yell louder. He'll hear you through the bathroom door. And he'll finally, like, wrap up his business and come and serve your needs. So just so you know, when it says he mocked them, he didn't say, maybe he's wandering on the road. I mean, he is really ridiculing. Now, imagine, imagine if you prayed and, God, and you feel like, oh, God didn't answer my prayer right away. And someone who isn't a Christian comes into your environment and starts saying, maybe God is on the toilet. How do you feel? Now, how, how do you feel like they felt? Oh, they're, they're big mad. Right? They're not loving this at all. So, they shouted loudly and cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed over them. Imagine worshiping a God that ignores you so much that you've actually created religious customs of cutting yourself just to have to get his attention. Whew. Verse 29. All afternoon they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no sound. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to the people, Come near me. So all the people approached him, Then he repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying Israel will be your name and he built an altar with the stones in the name of the Lord. Then he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold about four gallons. Next he arranged wood and cut up the bull and placed it on the wood. He said fill four water pots with water and pour it On the offering to be burned and on the wood, if you've ever tried to light a barbecue in the rain, you know this is not going to work well, right? Then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, a third time. And they did it a third time so that water ran all around the altar and even filled the trench with water. At the time for offering the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, he's being very clear about what God he is speaking to, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord, answer me so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God and that you have turned Their hearts back. Then what happens? The Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. This won't be on your screen, but just for fun, uh, the Lord ordered them. Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let even one of them escape. So they seized the prophet uh, Elijah, brought them down to the Wadi in Kishon and slaughtered them there Just because it's, you know, Old Testament. You've got you to read the fun stuff. Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of a rainstorm. Interesting, just the context of all of that. Um, in the old, under the old covenant, uh, the way that we had to eradicate sin was through death. For the record, in the new covenant, the way we eradicate sin is also through death. But it's just through the death of one man, right? So the good news is, if you've ever like accidentally falsely prophesied, Whew, we don't have to slaughter you today. Uh, that's good news for us. Uh, that doesn't mean that we don't take it seriously, Right? Okay, now back on track. Uh, Here is, here's what I I, want to draw your attention to. There's a ton in just this one story, all kinds of lessons and insights that we could glean from what God says to us and about us and the way we engage with him. But I just want to draw your attention to three things today. And each point in this message is designed to help build a framework for how we can position ourselves for Pentecost. Okay? So the first thing that we that we see here is that Elijah, we're just looking at Elijah's response, uh, Elijah repairs the altar. He repairs an altar. Now, the whole point of this, the whole point of this encounter, the whole point of this, this showdown between the prophets of Baal and Elijah was so that Elijah, or God through Elijah, could demonstrate his power against the power of the false gods. So what was the power of the false gods? There was no power. None. It was all show. It was all drama. It was all self-mutilation to try to get the attention of a God that doesn't even exist. Right? The whole point of this was to call God's people back to righteousness and a singularly focused worship on the one true God. And in order to do that, Elijah demonstrated in a dramatic fashion that your God is not even there. Now, there's certainly a lesson here about uh, not needing to dance around and cut ourselves and show off or, or, or perform in order to get God's attention, right? Uh, but for our purposes today, I want you to notice what it is that makes Elijah's altar distinct now, he did not simply build an altar, and he didn't have an altar there already. It actually says that he repaired the altar that had been torn down using 12 stones. Those 12 stones, one stone represented each of the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, each of these stones and this altar together represents the identity of God's people. So these, these Jewish people, the Israelites, were actually trying to serve culture's gods, and also the one true God at the same time. And Elijah says, let's rebuild the altar of worship on the identity of the people called to worship the one true God. Right? So question for us in our modern world, what are the gods that we are pulled away from the one true God to worship? What are the false gods? We worship the God of money, we worship the God of power, we worship the God of sex, we even worship gods of religion. Elijah sets out to prove that there is no power in the false gods. Right away, we would understand, we have to learn there is no power in the false gods of money and sex and religion and power and popularity and politics, and there's no power in those gods. By the way, I keep using that word God, plural gods. I'm, uh, you can't see it, but I'm using it in the context of like a lowercase g. These false gods are uh, anything that we put up o- above or against God as if we are going to worship the God of the Bible and also this. It's the God of the Bible that gives me security, but also this. Right? I'll worship God through the lens of I will really trust him if he gives me enough money to buy the things that I need and probably also some of the things that I want so that I can show the world how blessed I am. See how tricky it is, how, how quickly it can get into our theology and our worship of God. Elijah sets out to prove there's no power of God, not just so he can show off, but so he can call people back to don't worship anything that isn't God which we have a tendency to do. So as we consider a framework for receiving anything from God, let alone Pentecostal power and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this is always where we begin, to come back to the identity that God called us to and rebuild our lives as an altar of worship only to God. He rebuilds the altar. That altar represents you. So what are what are you worshiping? Here's the reality. If If this hasn't been clear already, you're worshiping something. The question is not, are you a worshiper? But what are you worshiping? Who are you worshiping? I know in my own life, I've had moments where I've had to say, God, I repent because I've actually worshiped myself. And I even did it in the guise of being a Christian leader when I was real early on in in, in leadership in the church. I was growing up, and I thought, man, I am the answer to all of the church's problems. (laughs) Using God to worship Tim is a bad idea. Don't do it. I'm not that good. And neither are you. So we have to be careful that we don't even worship ourselves, that we don't worship the God of comfort or the God of success. So the first step in receiving the power of God is building your life as an altar for the praise of God. Right. So when Elijah wants to demonstrate what it looks like to be positioned for God's power, this is why he chooses then to not just rebuild the altar, but then the second thing is to soak the altar. He soaks the altar, Elijah soaks the altar to prove that uh, the real power comes from a real God. In other words, this is actually really simple to understand. He soaks the altar because fire doesn't burn wet stuff. So what does that mean for you? The question is, are you living soaked? Are you fully dependent on God? Or is it God and your ability? I know I've lived like this in a lot of days of my life. God and my strength. God and my wisdom. God and my power or brute force or I'm just so stubborn that I just will make it work. And these are all of the ways that I get very dry in my faith. I live soaked when I say, God, it's just completely you. I'm not worshiping anything else and I'm fully dependent on you. In fact, if you don't come through for me, I'm going to look like a big fool. I remember God told me that we were going to merge churches, that we had planted this church in 2011, and that we were going to at some point. uh, I remember he told me when I was 17 years old that I was going to be the senior pastor of this church. And believe me, I I had messed up every avenue for that to become a possibility. Remember the thing I told you about how arrogant I was when I started? I had messed up every avenue, Jasmine. It was not going to happen. But I remember God kept telling me, no, that was a word, that was a promise. You are going to pastor that church one day. And we planted a church in 2011. I I thought, surely the last nail in the coffin on that promise has has been drilled in I am never going to pastor that church. And I just had to try to figure out how to learn to be okay with that. And God kept saying, no, I told you, you were going to pastor that church one day. So then in 2016, we merged the church. And I remember God said, I'm gonna do this in such a way that no one would even be able to say that you did it. I'll do it. God said, I'll get all the credit for this. And he really does, because man, if you knew, if I tell you the story, which I don't have time to do today, you would understand that was God. God. Some, a couple of you were in the room during the days where I was burning bridges, and you're like, yes, it was God. Arlene, Arlene is nodding in the back, just so you know. She's like, yes, you royally messed it up, and then God. Look, soak, soaking the altar is a declaration of submission and dependence on God. This manifests itself in our lives and in church world in a really like obvious and practical way. We call it water baptism. We just celebrated water baptism last week. And by the way, we've already got one other person who signed up to be water baptized. That's exciting. That is really exciting. Uh, But we we soak our lives not just through the practice, the tradition of water baptism. Uh, But we soak our lives as we submit our lives to God's word and his leadership. And we say, uh, I don't have any safety nets. This is like when all of these, uh, the crowd had abandoned Jesus because he was saying some wild stuff that was really hard to understand and get on board with. And, And all of the crowds abandoned Jesus. And he turns around and he looks to his disciples and he says, are you going to leave me as well? And Peter says, where else would we go? You have the words of life. This is what it looks like to live soaked. I I'm ruined for everything else. I'm ruined for anything. Uh, look, I, I have I have three degrees. I have I have a biblical studies degree, which is a BA and BS. Um, I have a master's degree in strategic leadership. And I have a doctorate in leadership and spiritual formation. I am ruined for anything other than church work. Like, my life is soaked. I am unhirable outside of the kingdom of God. And that could either be terrifying or it could be a great example that of what God wants us to do with our actual lives, right? Like, can, is there somebody else you could run to? then you're not soaked yet. Is there somebody else that you depend on? Then you're not soaked yet. Is there somebody else's wisdom and opinion that you put above God's, then you're not soaked yet. So be soaked. Be water baptized, but be soaked. By the way, I think it's an interesting note to to point out that Elijah had the altar soaked three times. It doesn't say this. this is, I admit that this is a little bit of my own uh, conjecture and opinion. It's, it's possible, but I wonder if there might actually be a link between the three soakings that the, and, and that when we are told to water-baptize people, Jesus taught us to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Indicating what? A complete covering and submission. Comple- cover your whole life completely, right? Right? So we cover our entire lives. This is what Paul talked about in Romans chapter 12. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. He goes on in verse 2 to say, do not be conformed to this age, but transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So we're told, build the altar of your life, soak it, position yourself to be utterly, completely dedicated to the worship of God and dependent on him as the source of your life. And then after we position ourselves as a soaked altar, we watch God respond. So the third thing that happens in the story is something that Elijah did not do, but he knew would happen. And that is that the altar was burned. So we position ourselves to burn the altar. We are not the ones who burn the altar. Remember that God responded in 1 Kings 18, 38. Immediately, the fire of the... Immediately. Immediately. They were sacrificing to Baal, worship or dancing around to Baal from morning to noon before Elijah even started in on them. And then they went all the way to evening sacrifice time until Elijah said, okay, my turn. All day. And what does it say in verse 38? Immediately. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up the water in the trench. So who lit the altar on fire? It was God. It was God. We submit our lives. God responds with fire. So there's two baptisms in the kingdom of God. There's the water baptism that we do for people as they become disciples of Christ, committed to the local church, joining uh, the church as fellow students of our teacher, Jesus. That's water baptism. It's a symbol of our death and resurrection with Jesus into a new creation. And then there's baptism by fire, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, By the way, just just as a disclaimer for clarity, we're not legalistic about how and when all of this stuff happens. God seems to be perfectly comfortable with doing this in his own time and in his own way. And uh, there's no rules about uh, where you get baptized. I'm not even sure that there's rules about who baptizes you as long as the person who baptizes you has been baptized. Right? I've heard stories of people getting baptized in swimming pools. I baptize people in the ocean. It's a big old bathtub. Baptize people in a baptistry? Last week, we baptized people in a horse trough. We used to do this thing when we were church planters called redneck baptism. We put pool lining in the back of a pickup truck and just baptized people on the street in the middle of like the community, out in the open, in the back of a pickup truck. I don't know why we call it redneck baptism. We had a guy who was a redneck who came to the church who was like, you need to call that redneck baptism, so we did. But look, also, like you could be baptized in a truck or a bathtub, the ocean or a baptistry. You can be baptized by any person who has been water baptized. And I think that you can also be baptized by fire and water in any order. In fact, the apostles, we don't have a record of them being water baptized in this story, but they were baptized with fire. I imagine that they were water baptized, which is not recorded in Scripture. Uh, and then, also in Cornelius' house, for example, in the book of Acts, there's a story of them listening to the word being preached. And it says, as they preached, as he preached, they believed, and the entire house received salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then they were water baptized. So the water's not magical, and the order isn't necessarily important. The question is, are you an altar that is soaked? Position for God to set on fire? That's the question. Should you be baptized in water? Yes. Should you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Why would you not want everything that God has had in store for you? I've never, I've not yet heard a good answer to that question. The only answer to that question actually is bad theology or fear. I'm just saying, the only reason I have ever heard people tell me why they won't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit or get baptized in water is bad theology or you're afraid. If someone gave you bad theology, I'm sorry. If you're afraid, let's pray about it. God is a prince of peace, right? There's no, nothing to be afraid of. Okay, so the point is not to lay out legalistic steps for you to get permission to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The point is that when God brings his fire into our lives, he does that for people who have positioned their lives fully committed and surrendered to him so that we can then live passionate about what he's passionate about, empowered for his purpose. Okay, so, now, that, that, that took as much time as that took. The rest of this is actually going to be relatively quick and simple. Uh, now that we have a framework that we build an altar of our lives to worship God alone, soak your, our entire lives in submission and surrender and dependence to God, and then receive the fire of God as a response to submission, now we can look at Pentecost. So, ten days after Jesus ascends to heaven. What were they doing for ten days? Ten days certain parts freaking out. Uh, Mostly, they were praying. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent, rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying on these altars of worship. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. And then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I understand that there's a lot of questions about the speaking in different tongues part of that. We're going to handle that conversation on another day. Uh, if you have questions, ask me after church. But here's here's for our purposes today. The disciples had oriented and submitted their lives to Jesus for the worship of Jesus and being dependent on him alone. And they so they had built... And soaked the altar, and then God responds. So here's what happens in the rest of the story. The crowd hears the disciples praising God. Each person who had come from all kinds of different regions for worship, uh, they had all heard them praising God in their own native language. Uh, another way to say that is they were all pr- hearing uh, they were all hearing the praise of God in their heart language, right? Which, as an aside, in your evangelistic work as you go to share the gospel, speak the heart language of the person you're talking to. You can do that in tongues, you can do that in French, you can do that in English. Speak the heart language of the of the person you are talking to. And you know how you do that? You receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that you can speak to the person inspired by God. Okay, anyway, so back on track. The crowd hears the disciples praising God in tongues, but in their own language. Some of them were curious while other people mocked, even accusing them of being drunk. Peter stands up, of course it was gonna be Peter. He stands up, he goes, time out, hold on. We're not drunk, it's too early in the morning for that, which is a great line. But then he actually prophesied, or he quotes from the prophecy of Joel, which is an Old Testament book. These people would have known this prophecy. And he's saying, this is what's happening today. He's saying, Joel told us, in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days. Both men and women... And they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heaven above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and cloud of smoke. That's like Book of Revelation stuff. Hang tight on that. Uh, The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Why is that important to to include in this context? Because he's saying, uh, I'm pouring out my spirit. Signs and wonders will happen. Prophecy will happen. And you know when that will stop? Revelation. So if there's any wonder about whether or not in 2023 all of this is going to continue to happen with signs and wonders and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, Joel prophesied, and Peter says it's happening today in the last days. So he's saying, guys, we're in the last days. You know when the last days will end? When Jesus comes back. So we still have this. Work of the Holy Spirit in the world. In verse 21, Paul says, uh, Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Reminding us of this very important thing. That signs and wonders are not for demonstration of superpowers so the world knows what a great Christian you are. Signs and wonders are always to point to Jesus. Leading to salvation and change of life. Amen? So then, Peter preaches the gospel to them. It's almost as if he goes, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And on that point, let me tell you how Jesus is the Messiah. So he preaches the gospel, closing with this in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Let all the house of Israel know with certainty, the house of Israel. Look, this is where it all started. Elijah says, the people of Israel need to know that God is the one true God. Come back and worship him. Right? And so what does Peter say in the closing of his gospel message? Let all the house of Israel know that with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And then this gets spread around to the Gentiles eventually. That's the rest of us who weren't born Jewish. But that's not the point of this message, because it goes on. It says in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 37, when they, the crowd, heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Which is a great question in response to the gospel demonstrated with power. Peter replied like this, repent and be baptized. Build an altar and soak it. Each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will burn. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off in 2023 in Lancaster, California. As many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. Listen to this. So those who accepted his message were soaked, baptized, set on fire. (laughs) And that day, 3,000 people were added to them. So what happened? The apostles The 12 and the rest of the other disciples that were with them in an upper room, altars soaked, were set on fire. Peter stands up and preaches the gospel, telling them, you now build an altar, soak it, and God will set your life on fire. How did he do that? He says, repent. Be baptized. Be soaked. Surrender your entire life to him and receive the Holy Spirit. So, the day that the New Testament church was born, the birthday party that we're celebrating today, was marked by submission, surrender, water and Holy Spirit baptism, and salvation of 3,000 people in a day. It's incredible. So, having said all of that, building the framework and looking at Acts chapter 2, then the question for us are you built are you soaked and are you burning are you are you built up is your life an altar in fact can we just take a few moments and and really actually invite God to work with us on the answer to these questions I, I want to invite you just to close your eyes and get a moment just with the Lord. So maybe you put notes and phones aside and and just take a moment. The first question is the most important question you will ever answer in your entire life. When we ask the question, are you an altar? What we mean is, have you given your life to Jesus? What we mean by that is, do you agree with what the Bible says that He is the Son of God and that He is the only way to heaven. The only way to experience eternal life is by placing your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and by submitting your life to Him as Lord. Have you made that decision? I think it's important that we also ask the question and you can wrestle with God in this moment. The next question would be, are, are you dabbling with the worship of other things? it's it's possible, it's probable that most of you in this room have already said, yeah, I've I've put my hand up in a church service, or i prayed the prayer of salvation. But I wonder if there's a place in your life where you would recognize I'm, I'm dabbling with the worship of other things. I'm too wrapped up in the opinions of other people. I'm too dependent on money for my peace. Too dependent on other people's opinions about me, or say and do, I'm too tied into politics, not that politics are bad, but I'm just too tied, my peace comes from that and not from God. The way we respond to these sorts of questions is we repent, we confess our sins, we place our faith again or for the first time in Jesus Christ alone, and we receive His grace. If there's something that comes up for you as we just Through those questions, I just want to give you a moment right now to handle whatever business you need to handle with God. If you don't know the words, you could say something like this God, I repent for building altars of my life to things other than you. I put my faith and my trust in you alone. Forgive me of my sins selfishness, my pride, my being distracted, my being pulled aside by other things I receive your grace today If there's a place where you need to say, God, I have not been fully immersed and soaked in your kingdom and your word, today would be a great opportunity for you to say, God, i make confession to you. I have put my faith and trust in other things. This would be a great opportunity for you to make a commitment to put God's word above every other opinion. listen to anyone else. This might even be a moment where you make commitments to cut ties with the distracting things or the things that have more weight in your life than God. of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit does not come by dancing, performing, or saying the right magic words. The baptism of the Holy Spirit comes to the soaking altar that asks God for the fire. This is how it happened for Elijah. This is how it happened for the disciples in the upper room. It's how it happens for us. God, we position ourselves to pray. Have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The helper, the comforter. And if you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the question for us today is are you walking in power? are you walking as if you were in a world where other things are more powerful? We have no need to be afraid of the works of darkness because we walk in the light That was reliable for Elijah and reliable for the apostles is reliable for us today. Save us. Give us grace and fill us with your Holy Spirit. And now, God, we also turn this same prayer to those that we love. And where you are sitting right now, before we do anything else, Can you take a moment and pray for those that you know who are not an altar to God, but an altar to something else? Name them before the Lord. And you can say, God, call this person, call them by name, call them, God, to give their life to you soak their life in submission to you and to be filled with your Holy Spirit, to burn with what you are passionate about, to be empowered by you. God, we pray that you would do that work, and if you would use us to do it, we would be deeply honored. Do your work. our service in this way. Uh, I'm going to pray a blessing over you, as is our tradition, and we will dismiss our gathering. There may be a lot of things that you want to talk and pray about after a message like this, and so I'm going to ask some of our leaders and uh, some of our uh, prayer team to come and join us up in the front. So if I could just ask uh, Greg and Tammy, or Lee, will you come? Um, Sharon, if you could come. Make yourself available as well. Uh, Let me just scan around the room here. Uh, Let's see. Who else am I going to ask? Dennis, will you come? Pray. Yeah. If if you and your wife would come as well. Paul and Rhonda, will you come as well? Debbie, please join Dennis if if you would. Paul and Rhonda, come on up. Okay, good. That's a good team right there. Some of our team is serving in life kids today. By the way, these are some of these folks are like have leadership roles in the church, and all of them are just people who I know and trust and are filled with the Holy Spirit. So, uh, here's what I'm going to ask for you to do is to be invited. The invitation is this: if you need to pray with somebody about the state of your salvation, come and pray. You need to come and make confession and say I've put my faith and trust in something else come and confess these people are like a steel trap with your confession they're not going to go telling anybody it's none of even their business they're just standing here to say to you as you confess receive the grace of Jesus and if you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit today it is as simple as this come and ask come and receive they'll lay hands on you say receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and then you'll receive it so with that in mind, knowing that there's a place for you to come and pray, and talk, let me pray this blessing over you, and we'll dismiss this gathering, and you can be welcome to come and pray. God, first we say one more time, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness, thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence and power in our lives. And so as we put a comma here, knowing we will go from here to go and live. Help us, God. Help us to live this out well on this Pentecost Sunday and to live Pentecostally everywhere that we go. So, friends, I pray this blessing over you. May your entire life be soaked by the love and presence of God. May you burn with the power of the Holy Spirit. May your heart burn for what God's heart burns for. May you live fully surrendered, empowered, and on God's purpose. May the world around you be lit up as you live on fire. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grace and peace, friends. God bless you. Happy Pentecost Sunday. Go in peace. Go and light the world up and come and receive praise.